Hello and welcome to Season of the Bitch, the leftist feminist podcast that knows the specter of communism is haunting. That's my creepy voice. (laughs) Today we have Zoe, Bianca, Julia, and Kellen. And it's our 150th episode. Amazing. Love it. So cool. Truly no better way to celebrate, in my humble opinion, as our resident goth than by talking about gothic Marxism. Yes. (laughs) So today we're going to be talking about spooky stuff and how it intersects with leftist stuff in our continuing of, continuation of Spooky October. (laughs) So naturally, we have with us one of the spookiest leftists we know. Welcome, Steph. Hi. Hi. Welcome. (laughs) Yay. Do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Stephanie Monaghan, or Steph. I go by either one. Um, I'm a student and writer, illustrator, socialist. I'm a fan of all things spooky, and I am honored to be included among the pantheon of spookiest leftists you know. That's a big deal for me. (laughs) Um, also honored to be here for the 150th episode. That's crazy. I'm such a season of the bitch fan. Aww. Um, we're Steph fans. Aw. That's true. We are Steph fans. <laughs> what else? Uh, I live in New York with my familiar, who's a large feline named Bearcat, and she is sitting right next to me, and everyone just saw her on camera before. Cuddling um, with her Mark doll, nonetheless. Cuddling with her Mark doll, her husband. Oh, and uh, I'm finishing. I'm finishing up a master's in media and cultural studies right now, so I can continue to tell people what culture I think they should like or dislike. And mm-hmm. when I'm not working, I'm usually drawing or watching horror movies, which is pretty much all I can do these days on my couch. But before, in the before times, I was very mm-hmm. active with the Spectacle Theater in Brooklyn, which is a micro cinema that specializes in showing lost and forgotten films. But in lieu of the pandemic, we've pivoted to screening movies on Twitch. So if anyone's interested in that, you can tune in almost every night. We're showing a lot of horror movies this month. And one of my quarantine projects is working on a zine with some other film friends called No Cinema, which is all about film culture and politics. And the first issue of that will be out this winter. So hopefully we'll have some cool stuff to share with you all later this year beginning of next year amazing amazing um is twitch okay i don't know how twitch works is that like a thing we can like link to <laughs> do you link yes. to twitch okay <laughs> i mean i know how yes. twitch works i just don't know like if you have to like be there live i i don't know okay we'll link to it in the description then because i just found out if <laughs> <you> can <laughs> Um, everyone's been like inviting, you know, just like we're doing this thing on Twitch and I'm like, okay, I don't know how to get there, but sure. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> these are, these are live movie screenings. So it's not something that you can watch later. So like you tune into it, like you would a live TV show or going to the movies, except you can chat with all your friends there. Amazing. I so love cool. that. And we will link to it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, getting into our topic we talked a little about gothic marxism last week on our episode about vampires um but i wanted to ask how you would define gothic marxism sure um well the cool thing about gothic marxism is there's not 
really a rigid definition of it. I feel like we're still Mm -hmm. making this up as we go along. So my personal definition of Gothic Marxism is, I would say it's an analysis of social relations that makes space for the fantastic, for things that may not necessarily be seen, but are definitely felt. And by fantastic, I don't mean things like ghosts or vampires per se, although I think those are powerful representations of this idea for many reasons, but I mean more the affect that emerges in life under capitalism. So one of capitalism's most insidious features is its ability to naturalize itself. The idea that there's no alternative, this is just how life is and how everything works. But as as we know, it's not natural, it's not inevitable. And throughout history and up to this day, there are people who imagine alternatives and they fight for those, whether it's you know through revolution and large scale or in smaller ways in their everyday lives. And neither of those kinds of actions towards liberation is possible without imagination by envisioning a different kind of world in the world that you want to see. And that imagination is informed by our material relationships to the world around us and our role in those social relations and processes. But it's not a simple, you know, A to B step process. There are all of these slivers of realizations that we experience where we see not just ourselves and our individual lives, but the bigger picture, the larger history. And, you know, for I think many of us, that can happen through reading Marxist theory, or it can happen through ghost stories. It can happen through visiting an abandoned factory in your town that you heard was haunted, or by consuming a piece of art that sparks something new in you. And all of these things open the aperture for us, so to speak, in ways that are related to the material, but are more abstract than that, but still have real consequences for us. And I think that Gothic Marxism is the framework that gives us room to study those cracks where the ghosts of history pop up, so to speak, and make themselves known to us. So that's kind of my working definition of it. Wow, I love that so much. Um, I especially love the aspect that you talked about of like these sort of abstract pieces of our relationships with society and class. When I was researching for this episode, I was reading some work by um, this literary critic, Margaret Cohen, who's written a lot about Gothic Marxism. Um, And I liked this way that she described it. Um, She writes, it's quote, fascinated with the irrational aspects of social processes. It both investigates how the irrational pervades existing society and dreams of using it to affect social change. Um, I feel like that's related to what you were just talking about. I really like this idea that Gothic Marxism is concerned with like the irrational ways that humans and our social systems behave. Um, And it seems a little different to me from some other strands of Marxist thought that tend to be more concerned with the ways that human responses are very rational um, and motivated by specific material needs like food and shelter. Um, so I'm curious, like, what do you think we can gain by considering humans irrational and more abstract actions as well? Yeah, I think I think this is key to why Gothic Marxism is important because we have to consider people's irrational actions. Although the, although we are historical materialists, irrationality informs a lot of people's everyday lives and actions all the time, and ideology is unfortunately not strictly dictated according to people's material needs necessarily. If it were, it would be a lot easier for us as leftists and organizers to move people. You know, people 
act out of their quote unquote own best interests all the time. And when we consider, you know, irrational things, there's numerous sides to this, right? You know, astrology is irrational. And yet most socialists I know, myself included, are still fascinated by it. And the degree <laughs> to which it informs one's day-to-day -day behavior and understanding of the world may vary according to that person and their own experiences. And a lot of it, a lot of it has been written and said about how it's historically been a bomb for everyday people who feel out of control in their lives and how turning to astrology and more magical occult practices increases during times of economic turmoil. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of materialist background there. And yet it's still also just a fun thing that is harmless for mm. people to find pleasure in and, you know, probably doesn't inform that much of your political ideology, but makes your life a more, you know, a rich and nuanced place or shapes the contours of how you experience it. However, there's also a lot of other irrational things like QAnon or, you know, similar conspiracy theories that do inform people's political ideology in extremely harmful ways, as we've seen, and that have been completely dismissed by people who should be studying it or by the media until it was too late and too powerful. So I think those are like two, maybe, maybe not opposite ends of the spectrum, but different elements of how, you know, these are examples of irrational beliefs that function socially in really strong and meaningful ways. And they make up the resonances that we spoke of earlier, like these things that are emerging and giving people answers and meaning and explanations for their position in the world. So we need to be looking at those and understanding them. On a personal level, you know, I mentioned, you know, you can, you can sort of find these historical resonances in the gothic or ghost stories and for me it was you know i've always been obsessed with ghost stories and the esoteric and the unknown and obsessed with like haunted places and i loved learning about what were the haunted places and ghost stories where i grew up and i think this is an obsession that lots of people share i mean we see that in the proliferation of websites and media that's dedicated solely to exploration of places that are abandoned or discarded or forgotten and people are really drawn to them and what I think is that those things expose us to you know history in general but also subterranean history history of marginalized people and things that you know history and society wants us to forget about but refuse to be forgotten you know like what are ghosts other than unfinished business of things that have been you know wronged and need to sort of set themselves right. I think that we're constantly wrestling with those things every day and still wrestling with those things as leftists and Marxists, even if we're not articulating them in the form of, you know, these are spiritualist hauntings. There are still these like resonances that are making themselves known to us that may be irrational, but we need to wrestle with those things are in order to understand our relationships to the world around us. Yeah. Thank you so much. But I feel like I didn't know a whole lot about gothic marxism before starting to do research on this episode and i also have just learned so much already just from hearing you speak about it um but in the research that i was doing before this episode one common thread that seemed to run through a lot of folks interpretations of gothic marxism is that it expresses solidarity with those who have been unjustifiably and unfairly othered by society I read this article that, I don't know, I found this description kind of interesting, but they described Gothic Marxism as quote unquote solidarity with monsters, 
Um, and I found that description really interesting because obviously we're not suggesting that those who have been othered or ostracized by capitalist societies are monsters. In fact, intuitively, the people who I think in, are mo imagined as monsters in capitalist societies are those who like undemocratically and un unethically wield power. But there is this sense that those who do wield power see marginalized people as like unworthy of certain rights and privileges and like basically as less than human in some way. And so in what I was gathering and reading before this episode, I felt like Gothic Marxism was expressly like, no, the fact that society marginalized certain groups is exactly why we stand in solidarity and push for our collective liberation. And I feel like that was also connected to what you were uh, discussing earlier about capitalism's compulsion to naturalize itself, because part of what Gothic Marxism entails is imagining alternatives to the current existence that we all live within. So I was wondering if you had any thoughts on like this particular framework or like how Gothic Marxism views, um, I guess like marginalization. You were kind of already talking about this, but if you had any other thoughts about it, I would love to hear. Yeah, so um, the leftist author, China Mieville talks about this idea of solidarity with monsters in this there's this popular lecture that he gave a few years back about how socialists should reclaim Halloween. And he talks a lot about um, Gothic Marxism in that. And he talks about uh, Margaret Cohen as well. And he gives the, he gives like a very short, simplified version of the history of Halloween, not only as a pagan holiday, but also as a worker's holiday where there's this revelry involved of this shared social, you know, community of fun and enjoyment that was frowned upon by the upper classes and the, the landed gentry who, who saw it as the hoi polloi celebrating in an unruly manner and how this extended to the tradition of dressing up in costume as monsters. And here's where I'll interject and mention that I highly recommend looking up some of the earliest photographs of Halloween costumes because they are so simple and handmade and way more frightening than even the most realistic you know, quote unquote, scary costumes we could think of today. But this dressing up as monsters, this embracing in a rebellious way, what the upper classes saw them as. And, you know, that could be a conscious thing that people were doing or a subconscious thing that people were doing. And it doesn't really, doesn't really matter because I think that we can still glean meaning from that and read into it. But another interesting thing here to me is if you're if you're versed in even the most basic occult knowledge, you know, we think as we think of Halloween as the time of year in which the veil between the world of the living and the world of the dead is the thinnest. But if you look at this historical framework that China Mieville gives, it's quite possibly that Halloween was also a time of year in which the class relations were addressed by the working population in a more direct communal way than usual, really brought to the surface and, and emerging in a more direct way than they usually were instead of, you know, maybe in conversations in the home or, you know, whispers across, you know, whispers to people working side by side. And this goes both ways. If upper classes were so disturbed by this behavior, it begs wondering if it's perhaps because they saw this as representing a type of revolt that could happen, even if it's just happening over a single evening. You know, it's the example of this type of imagination that emerges in this liminal space, as we mentioned earlier, and it's mediated through this identification with the monstrous and the celebration of the monstrous. So I think that's a good, that's a good lecture that we can turn to for some more insight on that. But yeah, I totally, 
I totally agree that to me, the monsters are the people who are creating these unlivable conditions for most of humanity. But it's important to, it's important for us to wrestle with how these people see us because it, it just becomes increasingly obvious to me with each passing year, each passing day, how little um, the elite upper classes of our society view most people. And finding solidarity with the monsters, I think, is a useful tool for us and is something that emerges over and over again, especially in the genre of horror, which I'm sure we'll talk more about later. But this is a, this is a perpetual theme that's running throughout the Gothic and Gothic Marxism. I think that's especially like a valuable way to think about things right now. Like if you think about the sort of grotesqueness of like the coronavirus and what it does, what it's capable of doing to like people's bodies and, and the, the, you know, very real fear that it creates, there's something horrific, I think about it. And then you also can think about the just total, like lack of concern that the elite class seems to have for the vast majority of us who are undergoing like very real suffering right now because you know whether we're directly affected by this like horrifying terror you know really t terrifying um invisible virus or whether we're facing this sort of economic fallout from it um like to think of of the working class as being sort of monsterified, um, I think is a really interesting way of, of considering like what's happening in the world right now. I mean, it's so wild to be recording this, you know, today as the president is yep. in the hospital <laughs> for COVID. I mean, and also, you know, full disclosure, I've, I'm, I'm like the happiest that I've been. <laughs> I've had... And all of all of my friends and the people I love is just, you know, everyone who's just been in crushing, in a crushing depressive state for months has, you know, we just all have this pep in our step. And so yeah. <laughs> just, wanted to, just wanted to address that, that, that like, you know, this is the time in which we are recording. But, you know, this is an example of a person and a group of people who it, it just, I think it just feels really clear right now, like thought that, you know, this could never happen to us. That is sort of the basis of yeah. a lot of the horror genre is the fear of something that you hope this can never happen to you. And what's happening to him is what has been like ravaging the, the bodies of people all over the world and people in his country who it's clear that he and his administration and most of the government despises. Mm -hmm. And it's true body horror. And yeah, I think that this is just, it's resonating so much right now and i think it's i think gothic marxism is giving us a framework through which like people should you know in the same way that people delude themselves into thinking that they have more in common with millionaires and billionaires than they do with you know migrant workers or refugees you know people need to understand that millionaires and billionaires like see all of us as monsters and you should be having more you know, tapping into that solidarity with the monstrous and taking that as a form of power and using using that as maybe carving a way out or a path forward. Yeah, yeah, this conversation is also making me think of um, Layla Taylor's book, Darkly, which we did an episode on with her, I think, 
last year. I don't remember what time has no meaning anymore, but we had her on at some point. (laughs) Um, But for anyone who's not familiar, um, her book is about the idea of the gothic soul of the U.S., specifically from her perspective as a black American woman. And um, in it, she says that American culture is inevitably goth because it was built on genocide and chattel slavery and, you know, so much violence and horror and the persistence of white supremacy and um, black deaths in America feed into this national culture of horror. Um, And she references a lot of pop culture in the book, including the movie Get Out, which I think is also a really good example of like these innate horrors of racism and oppression in the U.S., yeah, totally. I'm, um, I I love her book. I think she's fantastic. It's so good. <laughs> and she's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, and I, I think she gets it exactly right, where there is just, you know, um, the U.S. is just a gothic country and not yeah. in a, not in a fun way. You yeah. know, we can, right. we can tap into, we can tap into it and, and um, wrestle with it in a way that we can seek some pleasure out of it, but but yeah, I think I think this sort of uh, not even an undercurrent, but very much on the surface, just throughout history, this um, this specter haunting the U.S. is not yeah. one of uh, not one of communism. But <laughs> yes, that so, is true. Yeah, so I think that's um, in at least uh, in at least the particular case of the United States, just another way just another way that Gothic Marxism kind of gives us a very specific tool set that we might need for this um, historically specific example. Mm. Yeah, I wanted to turn also to some of the more explicitly fantastical and spooky aspects of Gothic Marxism. Um, So I'm going to pull out another Margaret Cohen quote here. Um, where she talks about some of the topics that Gothic Marxism is most concerned with. She writes that it's often concerned with, quote, the realm of a culture's ghosts and phantasms as a significant and rich field of social production, rather than a mirage to be dispelled, and a culture's detritus and trivia, as well as its strange and marginal practices, unquote. Um, I feel like Gothic Marxism is very much about reclaiming these sort of discarded things from culture or things that have been pushed to the margins, considered unwanted, bad, or just not useful. And I feel like this could be a framework that would help take us out of this dichotomy of things being useful or not useful or productive or not productive, which is so often the only way that capitalism allows us to understand things. Um, Capitalism pushes us to ask things like, is this ghost story true? Is this belief in aliens right? As opposed to things like, why does this community have such a long lasting series of stories about this belief? Or what is this group of people getting out of this ritual or practice? So I guess my question is, is that part of the way that you view Gothic Marxism? And does it have the potential to help us reclaim marginalized forms of culture from sort of capitalism's trash heap? Yeah, definitely. Um, And I think this this kind of harkens back to our earlier conversation around how, you know, there's multiple roads this can go down. We we equally should wrestle with the fact that there are, you know, irrational um, thoughts or pleasures that take people down a really reactionary road in the forms of some of the more modern conspiracy theories that are becoming way more prominent. And then there's other beliefs that are way 
less harmful in my opinion. Um, you know, I've, I've read and studied a lot about, uh, you know, communities who believe in UFOs and aliens and um, am writing a lot about that right now. And there is sort of a through line between some of, some of the communities around that who have gone down a more like Alex Jones, you know, reactionary trajectory, but a lot of them are just, you know, feel dislocated and alienated. And this gives them some sort of framework to understand why they feel that way. And it is, they might not be naming capitalism with a capital C, but it's definitely there in the way that they make sense of things and kind of channel that towards belief in aliens. So things like that, I think are definitely worth our time. Also are, you know, the more everyday things like the pop culture that people consume. I feel like there's this tendency among quote unquote serious Marxists and not solely Marxists, but just academics, media scholars, et cetera, to just sort of offhandedly dismiss what they consider lowbrow. And this is certainly changing more and more. And it's changed a lot over the past couple of decades, for better or for worse, because whenever I read film or TV criticism in Jacobin, it's the most like cringe inducing thing. <laughs> I really just hope they stop publishing things like that. But, uh, the things that, the, you know, the things that people read and watch and listen to or take pleasure from how they spend their leisure time and how they spend their wages, like these are relevant things to consider. The labor that goes into making entertainment products is relevant to consider, you know, entire new practices or artistic forms are created because of economic shifts, because of restructuring of labor. And I know that we're going to talk more about horror films, but, you know, to use that as an example, like the most prolific and inventive of errors in horror film production, arguably the 1970s were heavily economically determined, you know, financial restrictions and barriers to entry in an entire industry of labor, you know, pushed people to create, you know, some may consider it art, some may consider it like schlock on the margins and just see what happened. You know, this, this potentially provides us with historical groundwork to understand and examine how creatives are making things in the margins today and being exploited in new ways. Like every, every piece of what we might consider cultural detritus, I, I love that term that she uses, I think that's really apt, like gives us more insight into understanding labor and economics and just how people are moving in the world. So I think it's all really important. I mean, I watch a lot of stuff whether it's like low budget slasher movies from the 80s or Real Housewives. And, you know, many people consider all of those things garbage, but they tell you a lot if you're looking not even that closely, <laughs> like even on the surface level, they tell you a lot about our culture and society in, in deeper material ways regarding labor and economics. Like all these things are worth considering as historical materialists as well. Yeah, I love that point. I, I also watch a lot of things that I consider to be garbage, such as a lot of reality <laughs> TV, but I, I like yes, that um, <laughs> this this kind of gives us a framework to explain like why we find value in these things anyway, or at least entertainment, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've started referring to reality TV as like a docu-series just to like piss people off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I love that so much. <laughs> I'm like, it's a documentary series. <laughs> <laughs> I so mean, funny. so so I didn't mention this in the intro, but for my my day job that I never really talk about is I do work in television research for money. 
and and uh, and people in TV making a lot of like crappy reality TV for the sake of sounding a little higher brow will refer to it as documentary reality. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh. See, so funny. <laughs> I'm just in with the industry. <laughs> yeah, I really like the line of of questions that Julia just asks like the you know why does this practice this belief this piece of art exist rather than like is it real is it true is it valuable or highbrow like the first set of questions are so much more interesting um like as a historian you learn so much more from that first group of questions and i think it's also like about taking your subjects seriously like the people that you're talking about seriously like not setting out to prove them right or wrong if they're if you know your grandma has a really serious um, attachment to a ghost story from her childhood like the maybe the best way to approach that situation is not to be like grandma you're an idiot like ghosts aren't real it's to, to think about it in terms of like what is this doing for her why does why you know what memories are attached to this? Where did this ghost story come from? What did it do for the people in the town that she grew up in? Like, and, you know, as somebody that works on history, doing that on like a much larger scale, I think is really, really valuable. Um, and uh, that's a lot of stuff that I personally in my work have like been trying to think through is like, what do these people's values like where do they come from what not making a value judgment on the values but like where do they come from what purpose do they serve and little did I know I was a gothic marxist all along I love um, that for you I love that for me too <laughs> but um I know Zoe you wanted to talk about horror movies so why don't we just dive into that yes well I do have um I'm yeah. sorry I no, do no, have a, I do have a, a recommendation that Ooh. um Kellen just reminded me of because sort of on this tangent, um, there's this amazing book uh, called Ghostly Matters by Avery Gordon. And she works a lot with um, affect theory. And in this, in this book, extremely formative to me as a theorist and writer, you know, she's, she's talking about, um, you know, spectral matters and history and memory. And while it's not um, an explicitly Marxist book, it was really informative to me in thinking about, you know, if you are a Marxist, how do you engage with things like affect and resonance and the things mm -hmm. that we don't see? And that book really framed things for me in terms of, you know, ghosts as history. Like mm -hmm. I think and talk and write about ghosts a lot. And people often ask me if I believe in ghosts and it's a tricky answer. Cause on one hand I do, and I don't necessarily know if I mean that in a literal way. Mm -hmm. Like I think that you know, ghosts as a presence that make themselves known to us are, it's usually something involving, you know, trauma or memory or history, you know, again, unfinished business, like us feeling pulled to examine things around us and history and past around us. And in that way, I think that, you know, this sort of what we might call affect, you know, the resonance of whether it's a ghost story or a conspiracy theory or astrology, whatever meaning that we're getting from these sort of fantastical things in our lives, they're, they're striking us for a reason, right? Like they're telling us to examine something about the way in which we're moving through the world. And the way in which we're moving through the world is typically dictated by, you know, 
economic and historical forces that if we examined more closely might reveal to us how we are, you know, controlled by and mediated by capitalism and our social relations. So to me, it might make me not a doctrinaire Marxist, but I don't think that the affect is like divorced from the material. So that's something that I just wanted to introduce into this conversation around like the fantastical things and the ghostly matters and how we reconcile that with being good Marxists on the other hand. I think that makes total sense. Yeah. And I, I think you are a good Marxist. So. Oh, I really appreciate that. And I wasn't <laughs> sure it was making sense while I was talking no, it, about it. it. Totally, I was like, I hope this makes sense. <laughs> it totally does. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I know we wanted to talk about horror movies specifically um, and like the political lens on that. So how do you see the potential for leftist politics to play out in horror movies or films, as they say? Film, cinema, pure cinema. <laughs> in art house um, cinema. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think horror is the people's genre and it's the prole genre. In a, in a few ways. And I think, you know, it's been said over and over again by film writers and people who write about horror film in particular, that it's, it's the genre that always, it reflects our historical moment back at us. And I think the reason why they wind up saying that is, yes, you can definitely look at, like any other genre of any art form, you can look at specific decades or eras of it and draw a lot of draw a lot of themes about what was happening politically and socially in the times in which those films films were produced that reflect that are reflected in the films and i think for horror that winds up being more common typically because people make them quicker and for less money so they might be responding to the culture around them in a in a quicker way than other films are produced, if that makes sense. And I think for that reason, people tend to look at horror films as like a through line to the political id of the time, you know, the wave of torture porn, quote unquote, films of the early 2000s as a response to um, the invasion of Iraq and things like that, or a lot of slasher movies as responses to the neoliberal era. You know, I think there might be some reading into those reading into those connections that might be a little more superficial, but I think that people do sort of understand the moment that they're in through horror movies, perhaps more so than other genres. But also in terms of um, making movies, I think it's the people's genre. Like there are just really creative, um, transgressive things that people are able to create and explore through horror films that they don't with other forms or genres. And a lot of that is the, the barrier to entry is just a little bit lower economically. Like a lot of filmmakers who are trying to break into the industry, quote unquote, start with horror films because they're cheaper to make and they're also able to flex creative muscles in a different way. So that's all the baseline of just saying that it's a genre where we can, I think, make the most of it as leftists, like, I think there needs to be more overt leftist horror films 
I, I think that's all great. I, I love that once again, you're giving me like a framework to explain why my interest in trash horror film is actually good and pure. <laughs> good praxis. Yeah, exactly. But also um, tying our combos together made me think when you were saying like people um, often break into film through horror of the movie that Lala Kent from Vanderpump Rules was in, The Row. Oh which my is God. maybe a specific niche uh shout out <laughs> but I mean, one of the cast members from Vanderpump was in this insane horror movie but that's that's an historic that's an historic film because I wasn't she isn't that how she met Randall didn't yeah, he see he, her he to like cast her in that movie while she was like waiting tables or something and casted her as a virgin <laughs> like her character absurd. is this like teenage virgin <laughs> Which, yeah, is absurd because she was cast by her, like, sugar daddy turned husband. Um, yeah, wild. Piece of, <laughs> a, a big piece of history and a very yeah. strange movie. Well, I think that's a great lead into the next thing I wanted to ask, which is just, do you have any favorite movies or books or other media that exemplify Gothic Marxism to you or that lend themselves to being interpreted that way? It sounds like this this horror movie that you guys are talking about might be one example, but <laughs> any others? I'm not, I'm not sure it is. <laughs> um, I do think I have more, I do think I have more of an answer to the previous question of just... You know, oh yeah, part, go for it. I think that there is more liberatory potential in horror films because even though that there are there are definitely a lot of reactionary or conservative politics that are expressed through horror films, like listen, they can be a very problematic fave. There are tons of things in horror films that like I do not agree with politically, and yet I still find pleasure in in the form and the genre. But I think as a genre what horror allows creators to do is transgress more than any other form that I know of. So I think if you have the baseline of, of a genre just being a transgressive space, it's just not, it's not conservative as a form in the same way as other things. So we can express in it what we will, or we can, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, leftist politics that are expressed through horror films, even if they have elements elements in some of the storytelling or um, representation that could be reactionary. So I think that there is like a, a strong like radical tradition in horror. Uh, there's this great book um, by Mark Stephen. I highly recommend it if you're interested in Marxism and horror films is called Splatter Capital. And he's looking at the specific, um, call it subgenre of splatter films. And this had a couple of errors, eras. So um, sort of in like the, the 70s grindhouse era of horror films where, you know, these films existed pure, just like viscera and gore and, you know, splatter, literally like blood splatter. Just the films were just all about centering violence and he sort of and he looks at marx's capital alongside these splatter films and argues that this subgenre is sort of the most the most like marxist depiction of class relations and like the violence that is inflicted um 
on behalf of capitalists turned against them and how this becomes a tradition that expresses itself over and over again in horror films. So I think there is definitely um, a, le a leftist through line through horror films, even as we engage with some, some of the more like problematic aspects of them. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I think that, I mean, as I said before, I, I really like this idea that there can be like valuable or interesting things that we can get out of even very sort of typically considered trash or like bad horror movies. Um, and I think the point that you made about how they're sort of like the first place that a lot of filmmakers can start is interesting as well, um, that there might be sort of more diversity of opinions or perspective that's coming in through these. Um, so yeah, I wanted to go back to just asking, do you have any favorite um, horror movies or you know any other kind of media that like really exemplifies Gothic Marxism to you or that you think really lends itself to being looked at through a Gothic Marxist lens? Mm -hmm. um, I would say, uh, I mean, not just because it's one of my favorite movies of all time, but the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I mean, this is a movie which, mm. you know, as I mentioned before, it was definitely made on the margins. It was produced for super cheap. It was shot in the sweltering heat in Texas. Every element of what went into the production of the film is like burned into the film. You feel hot when you're watching it. You swear that you can smell sweat and rot when you're watching it. It's just a totally like embodied material film. And on top of that, there's class politics in this movie that are, they're right there, but they're not overemphasized to the point where it's beating you over the head with its politics. It really reveals itself to you in the visuals and small bits of dialogue. Like this is a movie about the deindustrialization of the US and the abandonment of working people and the working class and how this underlying evil of capital is sort of, you know, swallowing up whatever rolls into this forgotten town. And I think it's very much, you know, people watch this movie and it's, you know, this, you know, coded as the quote unquote, like redneck family who have, you know, gone insane over the years, um, cannibalizing, you know, teenagers who, you know, have their van breakdown in town, but people watch it and I feel like they definitely empathize with Leatherface and the family, you know, talk about solidarity with monsters. And I think the, the reason for that is, I think the class politics are very, um, very present in this film. And it's very, you know, pure horror and probably the most important independently produced American film, in my opinion. But there's definitely um, a Gothic Marxist reading that I feel like is more present in, in that film than some other horror that I could think of. And uh, another example I would give, just because not to be a film snob, I want to throw some literature in there, but I reread uh, The Lottery by Shirley Jackson for the first time since high school, probably. And obviously it's fantastic, but I feel like her... Her writing, especially in that story, really, you know, really plunges you into, you know, a sketch of a society where you're just spending a few moments with these people and through their conversations, you're piecing together how they're 
town and how they're how the society in this town works and how they've mechanized and ritualized this punishment of people for some sort of some purpose that is unknown to us and she really kind of creates this sense of what it's like to live under capitalism in this you know there is no alternative quote unquote mindset where all of the people in this town are like you know they're horrified that they're doing this but not really they've naturalized it to be in the same degrees in which we've sort of naturalized just the systematized violence and destruction that capitalism creates and i feel like this is another another great sort of gothic marxist tale so definitely definitely reread that sometime and think about that aspect of it because i think it's totally there amazing well we're getting towards the end of our time but i did want to ask um somewhat similar to that question but they don't have to be expressly marxist or anything just like any favorite spooky content that you would recommend for people that are like i'm lame and only spooky one month out of the year so what should i watch (laughs) (laughs) oh wow um any faves yes i mean i have i have a ton of faves but (laughs) i wanted to i wanted to come up with a list that i thought might be relevant to the season of the bitch audience so i would recommend and both of these movies are currently streaming on Shutter, which is the all horror movie app, but I'm sure you can rent them on demand other places. They're both French, oddly. Um, so the first one is called Revenge. It oh my God, it's so good. So good, right? Yeah, I think you I and I it. DM'd about this when you watched it. Probably. But, um, <laughs> so it's directed by a Coralie Farge, and it's a feminist rape revenge film. And if you're not familiar, like, yes, there is a subgenre of horror films referred to as rape revenge. And this is sort of in the, the context of a lot of 70s and 80s exploitation films. Typically, a lot of these movies are directed by men. And even though that there is this sort of, um, you know, somewhat cathartic but problematic um, uh, women empowerment seeking revenge on your rapist element to the movies that I, I do find cathartic and enjoyable, um, even if I have problems with it, this is a movie that is, you know, directed by a woman that takes that idea and does some really interesting things with it. And I mean, yes, trigger warning on it, but a lot of the more exploitative elements in that tradition of film are not really present in this one. It's definitely focused on the, it's definitely focused on the character's revenge plot. <laughs> and there's a lot of really um, interesting stylistic things going on with it. It's a really, a really um, just a movie that I think not enough people have discovered. And the second one I would recommend is called Knife Plus Heart. It came out in uh, 2018. It's directed by uh, Jan Gonzalez. It's another French movie. And it's about a crew of people making gay porn in France in the late 70s or early 80s, while there's this um, serial killer stalking people in nightclubs. And it's heavily inspired by the Italian uh, giallo movies. It's very stylish, there's cool colors, there's like hot people in it. And it's a slasher movie, but at the same time, it's this very life-affirming movie about, you know, like a strong queer community bonding and making art together and like finding this artistic, you know, 
community and facing down um, violence. And I just found it very surprising and unlike anything that I had seen before. So I really recommend that as well. Awesome. I'm definitely, I haven't seen either of those, but I'm excited to check both of them out. Yeah, both of those sounded so interesting. Cool. Yay. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to share? Any any messages that you have for the people before we wrap up? Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> for the people. Any messages? <laughs> for the people. Uh, I guess I would, I would also shout out, I think they're friends of your pod, um, the Horror Vanguard podcast. I think they just had their hundredth episode but if you're um if you're interested in, in some more film analysis through a leftist and marxist lens i highly recommend checking out their stuff yeah laura um, and i did a jennifer's body crossover up with them so specifically listen to that one <laughs> yes <laughs> only listen to that one i'm just kidding okay. that's the um, one episode i'd recommend no i'm just kidding <laughs> yeah and aside from that um I mean, I am, I am on social media. You can find me there. I don't know if I really have that much uh, insightful stuff to say on it, but I, I do also have um, a website where you can peep my illustrations and I also my film writing and film criticism on there as well. I've written a lot about horror films. Awesome. And we'll link to that for sure. Yay. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on. We've been wanting to have you on for a while. Thanks so much for having me. This is seriously um, a highlight of a really uh, dark time. Uh, not not dark in a fun, spooky way, but we are we are getting there. We are embracing spooky season and lighting candles and stepping on crisp fall leaves. So, yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for having me. Yay, Amazing. Thank Thanks you. for coming on. That was our episode. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you heard, you can uh, follow us on Twitter at Season of the Bee, on Instagram at Season of the Bee. Um, and if you want to give us your money so that we can continue to do the awesome things we're doing, we have a Patreon. Um, it's at patreon.com slash season of the bitch. Uh, if you subscribe, you'll get your episodes a day early. You'll also get access to our amazing Discord and you will also be able to participate if you want in our abolitionist reading group which meets every sunday night um as always you can uh review us on itunes or subscribe there but only review if you have good things to say we're also (laughs) on spotify now so you can also get our episodes there and last but not least you can email us at seasonofthebee at gmail.com all right Love you. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Season of the Bitch.